Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard. In today's chaotic media landscape, it can feel impossible to reach people while they're actually paying attention. Flipboard solves that problem. Learn how at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Ad Week Podcast. We've got a special episode this week, uh, and joining me for the excitement is Stephanie Patrick, our managing editor. Steph, always great to have you on. Great to be back. And we've got a special guest. Uh, We are going to break format this week and do an interview episode about viral video uh, from one of the masters, Michael Krivica, uh, co-founder of ThinkMoto, uh, who you will know for a variety, from a variety of uh, mega viral hit marketing uh, stunts and videos that we will be talking about in detail. But Michael, so great of you to make time for us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's great. All right. Well, first, uh, let's give a little context. Uh, Michael, you are co-founder of ThinkMoto. As I mentioned, uh, you have done some of the most famous viral marketing videos, especially for movies. I can give a few that uh, I'm sure we'll talk in more detail. Uh, the coffee shop telekinesis stunt uh, for Carrie, the uh, the demon baby uh, going around in a carriage, <laughs> popping out, and terrifying people. I, uh, the the ring girl climbing out of TVs in a department in a you know electronics store. Uh, there are just so many, and uh, and like I said, we will cover quite a few of them today uh, and talk about that. Uh, but first, uh, you, you know, the, the, it sounds like you are at a kind of transitional moment. Tell us uh, what what has happened with ThinkMoto and kind of where you are right now in terms of a business. Yeah, so we, after almost eight-year run, a very successful run with my business partner, James, personally, um, uh, we decided to close it down and kind of pursue new directions individually um, and try different things that we always wanted to do. But um, that just happened in, I believe, in July. And we founded ThinkMoto in early 2011 um, when, you know, we were nobodies. We just sort of... uh, position ourselves as the kind of disruptors, you know, we're here to shake things up to guys with absolutely no um, advertising background, but just kind of filmmakers with great ideas. And it was a risk we took. And then we just kind of it took a, it was a learning curve for about a year or two to kind of, you know, find ourselves who we are, what we're going to do, what makes us different? Why should people come to us, you know, as a, as a, as a digital agency? 
and we just you know it was a it was a mix of luck and 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 hard work but we we kind of established ourselves as um the guys behind some of these pranks that you mentioned that sort of became our signature um kind of uh you know portfolio um having these very elaborate hidden camera pranks um that we're known for today so what was your background you mentioned that you didn't have an advertising background how did you get started yeah that's a it's a great question a lot of people ask me that so i was a video editor that's really my background i i uh, edited for a number of uh post-production houses in new york city for i want to say over 10 years um before i became very active in the social media sphere around 2000 Five when uh, YouTube was born, um, I was a blogger at that time. Was very big, and I was I was really interested into blogging. And, and my blog, the, the the sort of the spin of my blog was that I would write about advertising ideas. I would write about crazy ideas that I wish I could see in TV ads or or uh, you know posters and all kinds of out of home and digital kind of um, marketing um, uh, initiatives. And I, I just kind of felt like there was an edge missing. There were some ideas that could be pursued that nobody really went after. So I started just to kind of write about these ideas. It's like, hey, uh, if I see one more damn car commercial where it features only one car on the road, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I've seen so many of them. How is that even relatable? I get it. It's a fantasy concept, but like, come on, let's let's reinvent it. Let's do something else. And and I, I just kind of started tweeting these out. Uh, I'm sorry, blogging these out. Twitter didn't exist yet. And uh, and then I kind of built a, a, a pretty solid base um, on my blog, which was called Who is the Bald Guy? That sort of became my alias. It was I, I always wanted to have a question in, in what I do. And, um, and then instead of writing them, instead of having text copy, I decided to do low-budget video versions of them. I decided to actually shoot it and edit it, just kind of where I pictured it with, you know, absolutely shoestring budgets and uh, with the help of my sister and friends. And, and I started shooting a lot, uh, some of them until one of them went viral. Uh, this was in 2009, I believe. And it was a video called Nuded. It was about a fictional iPhone app uh, that's sort of an augmented reality app um, that when you point your iPhone at people, it shows them naked. It basically removes their clothes in real time. So it was something that just hit a nerve, uh, got a lot of traction. I think Mashable was one of the first sites that picked it up, then Huffington Post, and it just kind of spread virally. And that's where I knew I'm onto something. It was like, oh, this is, this is cool. And if I can do this again and again, maybe there's a way to do a business model around this. So, And around that time, I met James. Um, we met we uh, met in a bar. We had a few beers, and we started discussing of, hey, can we, can we combine our skills, our backgrounds, you know, our, our different mindsets, and can we put something together and and shake things up, you know, in, in the advertising world. And his background was more scripted comedy. He was a very successful, very experienced, very resourceful guy. And he could open a lot of doors that I wasn't able to open at that time. I was a nobody. I was just this kind of rogue social media kid. So we, we figured it just made sense. You know, let's combine these things, these, you know, everything we know, our skill sets, and let's start something. And that's how it started. Michael, from there, how did you get into pranks? Do you remember what your your first uh, the first prank that you pulled off was? Yeah, uh, it actually happened before Think Motor was launched. It was actually a pilot that I pitched to um, WeTV um, at that time. Bridezilla's was like a really big show that they had. It was this sort of uh, you know dropping f bombs every thirty seconds kind of rogue uh, brides uh, reality TV show. And I went to them because I thought they were a really good fit for this show that I had, which was basically a mix of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy meets The Perfect Proposal. So, And I had this show where there's this team of proposal experts and they use um, hidden cameras to, um, to capture that magic moment and help a guy like me who might not have the right um, 
resources and the right, uh, you know, also budgetary uh, kind of restrictions. But he has a really cool idea and then help him pull it off. And one was like an, a ring expert who would help you pick out the ring. The other one was like a fashion expert and the other one was the sort of this tech tech expert. So I, uh, WeTV gave me money to produce the pilot and I did it and James at that time helped me pull this whole thing off. And <clears throat> the funny thing was that um, it was called Put a Ring on It, just like Beyonce's song. And the funny thing what happened is that I couldn't find anybody with a great proposal idea. So I actually ended up being the guy proposing to my now wife. Oh my God. And, and it's on, it's for on, real? It's online, for real. It was my real proposal. And my idea was to stop time. It was kind of inspired by the, um, I don't know if you guys remember, it was the Grand Central Freeze done by uh, Improv Everywhere. There were this kind of this really, um, really clever um, kind of group of guys who would just do these hidden camera pranks around the city. They're not very established. So that was, I, I kind of applied that mindset into my proposal and I tricked my wife into showing up in this restaurant that I rented out. All the people who were in on it, they were, you know, they, were, they had instructions to basically freeze and what they were doing when I would walk in and snap my fingers. It was this really elaborate oh, wow. marriage proposal. And I, again, it was never the intent that I'm going to be the guy to do it, but um, I did it and um, and hidden cameras captured the whole thing. You can you can watch it online. Just uh, Google, uh, put a ring on it, WeTV, and you'll see my time-stopping proposal. Wow. It's really cool. I, I recommend having a box of tissues. So the uh, prank that launched your career and your life. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah. That, that's where I kind of saw, I was like, you know, this is cool, this worked. It, mm-hmm. was, it was more on the kind of romantic, emotional side. It was not that kind of scary horror, sci-fi, mm-hmm. fantasy stuff that I'm known for today. But that sort of was the very first kind of dip for me into that space. And and I just right away felt this was right. I can do this again. This was great. This was a lot of fun. And let's let's use this. Let's build something out of this. Yeah, it's, oh, a, that's it's a good thing you didn't get uh, enga- you know engaged a few years later. You would have had like a zombie explode out of a table and <laughs> chase <laughs> chase your wife across. <laughs> Engagement that, demon yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good thing. Yeah, that's how you announced your your first child. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it was actually very weird when we did that double baby. I had a, my first son was around that age, so it was just totally messing with me. Our reality, you know, shooting this horrific looking demon baby and then coming back home to that very same age you know type child but of course my gorgeous beautiful son and it just and then i would come back the next day to this horrific looking you know demon version of this toddler and it was just it was it was quite a reality mind and messing you probably weren't sleeping a lot at the time which you know yeah so what's real what's not so so tell us about and help me with the chronology here the telekinetic coffee shop came before devil baby right it was actually, they were back-to-back, yes. The Telekinetic Coffee Shop surprise happened in October 2013. We shot it at the end of that summer. And um, Carrie was released that year, uh, the movie Carrie. And then The Devil Baby was for 20th Century Fox, um, Devil's Do, which was this sort of low-budget horror movie. And um, that happened in January. So we shot it actually uh, <laughs> over the, uh, what is it called? There's a blizzard or there's a name for it. Um, it was a, it was a deep-freeze um trying to remember the, the the weather term for it but anyway we shot it during a, a very uh, very bad weather conditions and this devil baby would freeze up the battery would freeze up the mechanism oh. would freeze up so we had to constantly go inside and just kind of warm things up but um um yeah that that was uh that was very quickly edited uh and then launched shortly after production it was something very unusually rushed uh and both did really really well uh, you know hit uh, all the youtube charts and we made the you know youtube rewind all, all those kind of things and won Webby Awards and Shorties and stuff. So it was, it was a really cool thing that kind of put us on the map. But, but before that, we had some good hits too. 
the the telekinetic coffee shop and the devil baby really put us on the spot uh, on the on the map with the hidden camera prank stuff but the one big one that we had before was for a movie called chronicle um for uh, by, directed by josh trank and what we did we did this absolutely wonderful um video where we created uh, the movie was about three teens with superpowers, and one of their superpowers was that they could fly. So we recreated that in real life. We had these human-shaped drones that we flew around New York City, and we just kind of captured it with the New York City as the backdrop. And it became this unbelievably amazing, um, wonderful um, uh, video that was very dangerous to produce because you would. We were, I think we broke a few rules at that time. Um, and uh, and that was to promote Chronicle, which opened against all odds, number one in the movie, uh, in the box office. So so um, that was for 20th Century Fox. So um, so that was the kind of big hit we, we had before that. Um, but but yes, the Telekinetic Coffee Shop and the Devil Baby, that was our thing. Like from there on, um, we, we, we kept working with those hidden camera pranks. And unfortunately, one thing I want to add here, and then I'll stop blabbering, is that every time we have sort of like a mega hit, you know, something that really hits 10, 20, 50 million views, that for some reason, everybody assumes that's our new standard. And that's a, that's a, that's a very bad, so we always, we're happy that it happened, but then we're so sad that, you know, we need to tell future clients is that, listen, this is, this is by no means a standard, this kind of impact, you know, this is just, it happens and it's great that it went that way, but, you know, let's, let's, bring it down to reality. Let's bring it down to earth a little bit. Let's go with like 10 million, you know, on YouTube. <laughs> so um, along yeah. those lines, like with regard to, you know, make quote unquote, making things go viral, which I know is really, really hard to, to plan for. But um, do you find that that's been more difficult to do? Have you noticed just changes in how easy or difficult it is to get your videos to spread? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, the, the, the word viral has gotten a really bad rap over the last few years um, because it's just there, there are so many shady kind of third-party players now where you can basically, if you have the right budget, you can go make anything go viral. Let's put it that way. I can record myself shaving my head for 10 minutes. I can put it uh, online, and if I have the resources, uh, the right network of bloggers or you know use companies like what are they called, Viral or or so many kind of other seeding companies that I quite don't understand how it works, but they are basically able to guarantee and generate, you know, very specific, very specific in a specific time frame. And that just kind of tells you that that's clearly not not the right thing. So we were always up against that. You know, we were always up against, uh, you know, a lot of people assuming that, hey, you must be using something. There's no way. How can you guarantee it, you know, without paying for it, you know? And that was part of our business model. We never guaranteed it. And when we did have a flop, we had a flop. We stood by it. We didn't push it out. We didn't buy the YouTube views. We were just like, you know, we, we fucked up. This didn't work. This was the wrong thing. But instead of looking something, the one thing that went wrong, we looked at the 10 other things that went right, you know, and we, we kind of pride ourselves with having a really great batting average. So, yeah, it was all organic always. It, hmm. it came down to the idea. Well, we talked about uh, Telekinetic Coffee Shop. Let's revisit this, this Telekinetic Coffee Shop surprise. We'll go back and kind of listen to a little bit of the setup, but it's about a young woman in a coffee shop. Uh, and spoiler alert, there's a surprise. <laughs> we'll listen to a little <laughs> bit of the setup, uh, and then we'll talk about the uh, about this clip. Oh, my God! That sucks. I'm sorry. You just ruined all of my stuff. Get some napkins, clean it up, it'll be fine. Fine, there's coffee inside of my computer. You know what? Just get away from me. Just get away from me. Just get out of my way. Oh my God. 
So tell us a bit of the background of this. Uh, and just for folks, since this is an audio, if you haven't seen it, easy to Google. Uh, there's, I think, 69 million views on this bad boy on YouTube. Uh, but uh, basically, she starts, uh, as this woman gets frustrated, she starts pushing tables and then eventually people across the room and uh, up against a wall. Uh, so tell us about how how you were approached about that. What's the backstory on the on this clip? I'm so happy you asked that because this was one of those projects that we call it a shelf idea. You know, a lot of times when we work on something, we're, we're in the ideation phase uh, of working on a concept uh, for a viral video to promote either a TV show or a movie. A lot of our clients were in the entertainment field. Then there's ideas that are born in that process that, that they don't quite fit what we're doing. So we put them on the shelf. You know, we call it a shelf idea. So we had a ThinkMoto vault that we called, and we would we would list and kind of write down these ideas. And this was one of those things that was a shelf idea, something that we had um, for about a year. Um, and pretty much the way we have executed very close to it in these kind of three-phase hidden camera prank where there is a big stunt, then tables and chairs move, and then the books fly, and she screams and everything. So they always have to be, it has to build. You know, every hour of videos, it never kind of flattens out. There's always something else that happens, and we take it up a notch. So so this, uh, we had shelved um, in an email um, to, you know, we just emailed our, ourselves that, listen, we, we want to make sure we don't forget about this until a year later, we saw the first trailer for Carrie. And that's where we all went, holy cow, this is it. This is that thing. This is the right fit. Let's call Sony and let's tell them we have a great idea to promote their movie. So we did that. We called the um, the right guy uh, who was the SVP of digital marketing at that time. Um, and uh, we got him on the phone and we said, hey, we're ThinkMoto. And, you know, we got this really great viral video idea to promote this new movie. And, and they're basically like, no, 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 no. This is not how it works. We, we call you. You don't call us. You know, that was, this is a reverse process. And we we're like, yeah, but, we're, you know, we do things differently. We're kind of the disruptors here. We're the kind of, the, you know, the cool guys. And, and again, we, we try to do even the image of our brand, of our, of our company. We try to do it, uh, you know, announcing, letting people know we are here to shake things up. We are here to be disruptive. But at the same time, we wanted to be respectful to the industry we're in and not being too cocky. But this was one of those moments where it certainly felt that way. And, and while we had this uh, uh, person on the on the phone call, on the call, he says, "But you know what? Since we're since we're all here, what is the idea?" So we told him this idea, and there was a pause, and he says, "You're right. It's a great fucking idea for a movie. <laughs> Let's do it." And they gave us the budget. It was a very easy sell through, um, and we that was our first time we did something for Sony. They were super happy with it, and we've done we've done a number of very successful things um, for Sony Pictures since then. We did a. Uh, Seth Rogen sausage party with he had this animatronic food in a supermarket that we took over and Seth Rogen was kind of sitting next to me voicing these different characters it was a wonderful wonderful prank uh, and then the last thing we did for them was Spider-Man uh, Homecoming he dropped down in a Starbucks to grab his coffee when his name was called so th- this was all Sony and we, we had a, a great relationship with them and they were always super happy with all our hidden camera pranks not necessarily scary always kind of fun but um but uh, yeah, and that's how it happened. And then we just pulled the whole thing together with the coffee shop, shot it um, in a coffee shop called uh, Snice that doesn't exist anymore. I think the re- lease ran out and now it's a, I believe, a, a dry cleaning place uh, in the West Village. But um, they were super cooperative and um, uh, yeah, it just exploded. It was a huge, huge explosion um, online. And this was, again, remind you, this was before Facebook video. So this was YouTube, you know, to hit the, those kind of numbers at that time. Uh, that was mega. I mean, we were trending number one for days. Um, so it was, it was, it was a great feeling. <laughs> 
that one was so technically well done. I mean, there were a lot of moving parts. You've got a guy who gets slammed up against a wall and slides up the wall, and you've got several tables moving. You've got books falling off shelves. And I think that when people see that, it looks it's it's it looks so spontaneous. But how long does it really take to pull that off? Great, uh, great question too. So we have about a day where we put built the whole thing, which was prefabricated, pre-produced, pre-tested. You know, the wall that was built. <clears throat> You know, we didn't test it at that spot. We already had everything pre-tested. We just kind of installed it, assembled it at that place. And it takes about also a, at least a half a day for the hidden camera crew to set up, you know, get their stuff together, wire things, and then set up the control room downstairs. And then we shoot over the course of two full days. And the reason we do that, um, especially if we do something outside, is that we want to make sure if we're up against unpredictable things that can happen, like weather or something, power outage, you just never know. We always want to make sure we have enough, a wide range of reactions, because it's really ultimately the reactions that drive the viral video. It's like you you, you having fun as the viewer watching people react, because you ask yourself, how would I react in a situation like that? I'd be that guy running away, or I'd be those those couple of girls standing and freezing. I'd be that guy over there filming the whole thing on the iPhone. You know, there's we want to make sure those that spectrum is all in there. Uh, but the elaborate setup that you mentioned, the, technic, the technical stuff behind it, that too is part of the magic sauce, you know, that, that the viewer is in on it. The viewer sees what went into it, and then they are so excited to watch it. And what uh, is very important on those, you know, basically two-minute videos that um, they're so rich, they're so dynamic, there's not a beat that's boring, you know, because it's just, it's so, the, the energy level is so high that you want to watch it again. So it's not just you watch it once and you share with everybody. No, no, it's important that you want to watch it again. Let, let me see that again. Let me see that guy again one more time. Mm -hmm. He did that thing, you know. So that that's important that it's there's a richness there. There's a multi-layer thing happening. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned uh, that you did Devil Baby Attack, uh, which was for Devil's Due. Uh, that one was kind of back-to-back. -back. So you had these two mega hits uh, right in a row. What did this do for your business? It did. Great things. And this was, I think that probably was that time where we stopped pursuing work. I know it sounds cocky, but that we were just, we just were flooded with requests from all kinds of brands, um, not just, you know, just outside of the entertainment field. They, they would just come to us and they just knew we are the guys. If we could do it over and over and over again, that's it. And that became our thing. Um, and we're known for two kinds of projects. Uh, one is this elaborate hidden camera prank stuff that we're talking about. And then the other is these sort of fantasy gadget inventions that we built, you know, that you might have had the idea for at some point where, you know, you're so lazy sitting in your, um, you know, recliner at home, but you can't reach the bowl. It's just, just out of your reach. What if there was a thing that could shoot the popcorn right in your mouth? So we come up with a thing called Popinator. The same thing, you're stuck in traffic. Oh, boy, what if I could just push a button and my car rises and drives over all the other cars that I, you know. So we would we would make them. We would actually create them, make these physical props and make them for real. And that became newsworthy that somebody actually made this prototype. Um, but um, to come back to the uh, to these hidden camera pranks, um, th there were a number of things that happened. Um, the first thing that happened was that we were flooded with requests from people in the industry wanting to work for us. I mean, I'm talking top-notch, super qualified people, creative directors, copywriters. I mean, just... It, big ad agencies, they would be like, I'm ready to quit my job. 
I want to work for you guys because you guys get to do whatever the hell you want. That was always the thing that everybody would say. You get to do whatever you want. You don't have to deal with anybody above you. There's no, you know, uh, food chain to go up. Um, you know, there's no that, that traditional kind of agency uh, structure. It's And it really, that's how it was. We really, that was one of the reasons we stayed small over the years. We never scaled the business. We always wanted to be, that's us. Here's a little napkin drawing of what we have in mind. And we send it over, and also the clients liked it, that they would deal directly with us. So you wouldn't set up a call with my assistant and then the secretary and whatever. No, we were the guys who pick up. You call us, you talk to us. You know, Mm -hmm. there's an issue with a pitch that we just did. You have questions, cool, give me a call. You know, let's talk. And they they really enjoyed that, really liked that that direct kind of content. It was very human, and it wasn't technical. And... um, but uh, to come back to those um, to those requests, uh, people wanting to work for us, and again, we looked at their portfolios. We were blown away. It's like, oh my god, you worked on the Nike thing and you did that thing. We had to turn them all down because they don't fit what we were doing. They were super qualified, and we had to find a very nice way to turn them down. Say, this, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. you. You're doing amazing stuff, but you just don't fit what we do. We don't need a copywriter. <laughs> there's no <laughs> such thing. We're not from the Mad Men era. This is not, we just, we never had, nobody writes a copy here. Yeah. So it's just, uh, so that was one of the things. And then the other thing that happened, which was also interesting, was that when brand new clients came after us, you know, more sort of traditional uh, brands that have been around for many, many years, uh, they wanted to do like a fun little prank. And once we started, we were really excited to reach out to us and we started pitching them uh, and then it reached a level very quickly where they would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is this is too crazy. You know, this is we, we can't. This is outside of our comfort zone. We can't. We can't do this. You know, we. This is our tagline. This is our audience. You know, this is our demographic. And boy, this is a little edgy. This is we. This is dangerous stuff. There's no way this gets approved. You know." But we're like, yeah, but let's go viral. You got to step outside of your cover. Let's go have fun, you know. And and, and then it just kind of ended there. So we were very quickly able to kind of filter out and see. You know, yes, you reach out to us, that's great. You know, you want to do something, but we know there's no way in hell you're going to let us do this or that, you know. So, and and in the entertainment field, they were just so open. They're just so mm-hmm. flexible, you know, and some of the movies that we promoted because they were, you know, rated R and stuff. So there was, and that, they became our niche. They became our kind of, that, that, that perfect clientele because they just would let us do anything. They're in that Hollywood space and they just, the crazier, the better, you know, and that was, that was our thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I've wondered. I mean, you're really, um, you're really known for successes in promoting movies. You know, we've mentioned The Ring and Carrie and Cobra Kai um, even more recently. And I was wondering if you feel like there is more of an opportunity on the brand side for these types of videos. Was anyone, you know, were any brands willing to take a risk? And if so, how did that go? Yeah, the ones who were, it paid off. Um, for example, Oakley. We we invented this golf cart hovercraft for them. It was uh, it was tied in with a celebrity golfer called Bubba Watson, who won the Masters the year before. I believe this was in 2014. We've done it, um, and we launched it around the time where the uh, Masters would open. I think the week before. So we kind of tapped into the momentum of of the golf season starting. And we stood out because of this cool, fun little thing that we did. And there was a there was a logic behind it. We invented this basically golf cart that's a hovercraft, and you don't have to stay stick to the golf course um, kind of regulations and rules. You know, driving this on a specific uh, route, you can just go over the green, over water, over sand traps because it it's a hovercraft. You know, <laughs> and that was kind of cool because if you think about it, I don't know if a lot of people think about this. Maybe this is the kind of stuff I read online. But if you think about it, the goal of the game of golf is to play as little golf as possible. That's really the you know so so what if you could also shorten, you know what if you could minimize also the time 
uh, you know, between going from one shot to another. So that, we just kind of tapped into that that logic, and it just worked. And and then we did a follow up a few years later for Oakley, where we created the jetpack, jet which is the next, next level up. Because a jetpack can go straight; it's a linear thing. It's even shorter. Um, so those were sort of I don't want to call them semi hoaxes, but those were you know uh, proof of concept. You know, mm-hmm. that in, in reality, it won't work because it's loud, it's noisy, it's 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 messy. But but it did work, and we made it look reasonably we made it look logical you know when we the way we execute it and that's all you that's all that matters you know yeah is that we create this thing and we really made it happen and um yeah so oakley was one of those brands that uh quite big you know they're global and 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 they saw the impact they were i mean they wanted to do another one you know they were just like let's what else can we do i, I don't know how else we can shorten it it's got to be i don't know teleportation or something i don't <laughs> right. know what else we can do what's the next thing i don't know but well, you mentioned that the, with the proof of concept of some of the inventions i remember the the jet pack you also did for for oakley uh with bubba watson the you know and and how these are kind of real uh, just and I feel that that's the same with the prank videos, you know, that they are are l- somewhat real. And I think with uh, there's always this question of, you know, how real is it? Are the people in on it? And I know you've talked about in the past about, well, safety, you know, is kind of the most important consideration. Uh, but beyond that, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and pin you. I know we ask you this all the time, pretty much every time we talk about how real are these stunts? So, so first we have to uh, make a distinction between what is a prank and what is a hoax. You know, and, and a pra- it's, it's important because uh, I'm sure a lot of you, the listeners here know that, but for some that don't, a hoax is something that tricks the viewer. A prank is something where the viewer is in on it. You know, the viewer knows the setup, he understands what is going on, uh, and he's watching the people being pranked. So it's really the real-life hoax that you're watching as the viewer. So those, that's a very important distinction. So when we do an invention concept, you know, where we build a gadget, that is more on the hoax side because we're now sort of pranking the viewer. We're making him believe, is this thing real? Is this really such a thing as a shaving helmet? The helmet I put on, push a button, it shaves my, helmet, uh, my, my head in 20 seconds. That was the first video we've ever done. It did extremely well. The client wasn't ready for it. We crashed our side. It was great. Hmm. Um, and then we've done the popinator. We've done uh, the selfie stick that extends on its own you know, fully automatic. We've done just so many of these really crazy things, uh, including that stuff we talked about with Baba Watson. So, um, but the, the important thing that is it looks real, it's believable, and that's all there is. That's all it takes to get people talking because it's ultimately meant as a conversation starter. Um, with the prank videos, to answer directly more your question, um, that was very real, very, very real. Even the reactions that we captured were real. There were moments, I want to say, that we staged, like, for example... Um, you know, just to intercut and mix up the flow of things. Like, for example, I wanted to see dogs barking at something. You know, that's very hard to capture. So we, I staged that moment. We, we, we had a dog bark at one of our PAs doing something silly. But, but in the mix of things, you know, in the edit, it looks like that dog was there and, you know, he was also upset. Or somebody... Um, um, you know, holds a phone up and takes a photo of something, and we were surprised that nobody actually did it. So let's just let's just have somebody hold it up, and we'll throw them in. But it's not really like we're faking a reaction. I'm just cutting to somebody taping it. But in, ter- in sort of uh, in terms of the other reactions where people flip out, run away, get scared, that's all legit. That's real. I mean, I can I can swear to that. I mean, there was no, we never, there was no fake 
reaction video that we've ever done. So I'm going to stand by that. Well, do you like to chase those people down or do they sign something oh, on the way yeah. in? Oh, it, yeah. What's the... So what, that's what a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, <laughs> so, you know, keep in mind what you see in the, uh, in the edit is what made the edit. There's a lot of stuff you don't see that happen. You know what I mean? So there's certainly every now and then there are people who, when we prank them, of course, we can only ask them to sign the release from afterwards. We can't give them a heads up. But uh, there were very few who didn't sign it just because... They just didn't like what we did to them or they were in a rush or, you know, they just wanted to grab their coffee and here we are exposing them. They find themselves in the middle of this huge elaborate, you know, video shoot that they were not aware of. So they just weren't ready for it. So I, I, I get it. And that's totally cool. But that was never an issue or problem. Um, you know, nobody ever came after us. Uh, most people, once they find out what it's for, even though we scared them shitless, I mean, we scared them to <laughs> death. Uh, they were still so happy to be part of it, to agree to it, because they know their reactions were legit and really real, and that they're part of a cool movie promo. You know, that was always the sell. And um, yeah, so that that never became an issue. And we never really crossed the line, um, like some of the stuff. Um, there was this one uh, prank that they have done once with zombies, where they were hiding on the crates somewhere by Union Square. And a lot of people assumed it was us, because we've done a zombie prank before for AMC. That was another great thing that we've done. Um, and it was illegal. It was wrong. It's just, you know, you, you know we have permits for everything. We, we I mean, everything is on paper. Everybody who needs to sign signs. We have uh, out of frame that you don't see uh, police escorts a lot of times on the set. Um, and we are pretty good at judging, you know, you know, who we prank, you know, we don't prank everybody who comes into the space that is raped, you know, we say, okay, that, that old lady, that's, that's going to be dangerous. Let's not mm -hmm. do that to her, but let's wait for the group of girls back there. Let's have them come over and then boom, let's, let's hit them with it. You know, where there's a girl climbing out of the TV. So we, we, we filter a little bit by, you know, sitting in the control room, watching everybody. Sometimes one of our PAs approaches them, asks them a question just to get a feel for the personality. You know, are they going to have a colorful reaction? But at no point, nobody, nobody, nobody knows what they're going to witness. No way. I've wondered if there's liability associated with this. I mean, have you have you ever had someone just really get pissed off? Um, we had a few people pissed off, yeah. I think the most extreme thing I've ever done that came to really like a near-death scare was for a movie called Ouija. We promoted, uh, that was the first one that they did for, um, uh, oof, I forgot what studio it was. I think it was Universal. And um, basically we rigged a, we created a, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, a psychic uh, parlor. And we rigged it within cameras and we hired the only woman on this planet who can pop her eyes out without, so it would just, they would just kind of come out. Oh my gosh. And then we had other sort of surprises that that happened in that scene. But I, I should clarify was, that they don't like come out of her skull all the way. That was correct. <laughs> like they, 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 yeah, they don't just fall out. That's certainly, <laughs> but it looks, again, if you see it, it's it's something, you know, you, you, your brain is not ready to process that, you know, and especially if you see it right across the table from her very close. And especially because it's a psychic parlor. So you, you're already intensified. You're already, you know, in a mindset where you're connecting with outer spirits in a different mm -hmm. world, different dimensions. So, you know, your senses are so heightened and we do shit like this to them. Then, I mean, clearly it's going to be bad. So that's where we had some people that were quite upset. But again, it just never went anywhere else. They were upset. They were angry. And that was it. It ended there. We never had... Um, any sort of liability problems, nothing ever broke, no, nobody ever got hurt. We were just very careful. And a lot of uh, credit goes to my um, my business partner, James. He was, mm. that was his thing. He, he knew to pick the right people, to find the right vendors. Um, so he was he was very great at, 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 at picking who we work with to pull this off. So, yeah. 
Let's uh, let's actually listen to a little bit of that one because that's one of the few that that has some dialogue that's not just screaming. <laughs> so we'll, we'll listen to a little of that psychic prank. Just relax your limbs and focus your mind. R. Uh, and you know one one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about is kind of the the change in over the time that that you were doing these videos, uh, the idea of YouTube prank started to mean it, that became a bit of a, a really negative term, right? Because there were these folks on there, these aspiring wannabe viral stars going around and pranking people without the kind of permissions you're talking about and, and really just being awful human beings uh, and then recording the response. Did that change anything about your perception of what you were doing or about about pranks in general? Did it change kind of your appetite for these projects? No, so the first thing is we never liked the word prank because even before these pranksters, these YouTube pranksters started their very popular channels, some of them doing, even if they were not doing very kind of nasty stuff and, you know, faking suicides and all kinds of, I mean, really bad things. Um, we just, we, we try to find a different term for it so we can turn, you know, we can, we can coin it in a different way, but there's just no other way to do it. It was essentially a prank and the word prank itself, it just kind of downplays especially our standards, our quality of videos and what went really into our stuff. And we, we just believed in what we were doing. We just kind of kept doing it our way, you know, uh, very elaborate, very clever. There was always a level of sophistication to what we were doing. There was even just the idea itself. You know, we, we basically take something from a horror sci-fi fantasy genre and create the real life version of it, you know, like the girl crawling out of a TV that we were able to pull that off and make it look realistic. So there was always something that no one else, these kind of silly pranksters were able to achieve. So we, it didn't affect us um, much. No, it didn't. Well, so, so I want to talk about what's next for you. Um, you know, I, I will say this uh, as a, a, a bit of a you know, a candid criticism is that for better or worse, I feel like a lot of ThinkMoto's work was consistent is the good way to put it. But also it's, at some point started to feel a bit a bit like a like a package product. Right. Uh, and and it started to feel, you know, like the Cobra Kai stunt of, you know, boy getting bullied and he and he bra- starts breaking a motorcycle and a street lamp and those and, and you get people reacting and it's it's all good stuff. Each one was very well produced, um, but it, it started to feel like this is what you know. This is a Think Moto thing. This is the product, and here's what you can expect. And did did that aspect of it starting to feel like you've been doing this for eight years? You know that is there was there a bit of kind of repetition to it that made you think I'm ready to try something different, or what really led to closing down Think Moto and and you know trying something new? So to uh, answer you. F- the first part of your question, which is, you know, having a like a fatigue for these pranks and 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 there's and, and there being a sameness, um, you're right. We we followed a specific formula, but it was a formula that was a success formula, something that worked. Even that Cobra Kai prank, which was our last one that we produced uh, as Think Moto, was extremely successful. I mean, it worked even after all these years. We've got now over 80 million views on Facebook alone. I mean, that just tells you something that. 
you know, it might have shifted from one platform, which was YouTube, to another, um, and finding and engaging audiences in different ways, you know, with the whole autoplay thing in your timeline. And we would also study, pay attention to metrics, like more and more people would watch our videos on mobile um, gadgets versus to watching them desktop. And that would affect the way we would shoot things, you know, more close-ups, more that, and knowing that it will end up in a square ratio where there's a widescreen. So there was a lot that went into it. But overall, you're right. It was a, it was a, there was a repetition there, and but again, it, it worked. We never seen really a fatigue or tiredness in it. The only thing we did notice uh, was that the behavior of the media pickup changed. Um, digitally, we were doing fantastic, and even YouTube Red, now called YouTube Premium, was extremely happy. They were a very happy client. We were glad we kind of left or exited ThinkMoto under something that was a hit, you know, um, for our standards and for our client's sake. But but there was a change, a drop in organic media pickup that we've noticed in the last four to five um, campaigns that we have done. Um, uh, it, it's, I started seeing a decline with the uh, Warner Brothers uh, Geostorm prank where we prank people in a cab uh, by changing the weather outside, you know, so that, that was a really cool, super fun thing. And, and, and again, the client was very happy, but for our standards, we noticed that, wait a minute, there's a lot less organic media pickup because... I think what started happening with the changing media landscape and also the attitude of uh, whether it was digital even or on traditional media like TV, uh, it it was tied in directly to Trump becoming president. There was there was mm-hmm. uh, there was a shift, a very dramatic shift, you know, from that year that it happened, where all of a sudden uh, walls went up. You know, it was, uh, you know, there was uh, sometimes there was a lot more kind of, uh, there was a stickiness. There was a more welcoming feeling of our videos being pack, uh, picked up. And now we felt like, you know, maybe maybe that, you know, commercial wrapped up in a prank kind of package doesn't work anymore. Maybe that's what it is. Again, worked fantastically on digital, worked fantastically on Facebook, clients super happy. But in terms of generating earned media, which was a big part of our business model, there we noticed the decline. However, that was not a decision into closing down the company. It was purely us, you know, kind of wanting to do different things. I mean, uh, one of the things I want to get into, and I'm sure that's one of your next questions, is I want to go into um, serializing some of the stuff that I've been doing. There was always a, um, especially when there was a big viral video hit, uh, it was on a brand new YouTube channel or on a Facebook channel, there was there was always a feeling of wasting the audience that was very quickly built. You know, all these followers started following that account, expecting new pranks to show up, and and it never happened because for us it was just a marketing tool and we, there was no need for us to capitalize on it. We never went with YouTube's, um, you know, for example, um, that ad uh, program that they have, you know, having pop-ups and stuff that, that just went against us. It would disrupt the viewing experience. So it was really, uh, our videos were really just a marketing tool for something very specific and that's it. We move on. But there was a wasted opportunity that I saw. There was a way to serialize it, go into long form, do something that is, um, you know, uh, 10, 12 episodes, whether it's uh, short form episodes for Facebook Watch uh, or Snapchat or some other digital platform or it's something for TV. And and um, over the years, we have been approached by kind of reality TV shows and talent agencies a number of times. They wanted to do a show on us so many times. I mean, I cannot tell you how many calls we got. And it's like, guys, we got to make, we have to make a reality TV show on you guys. You know, we want to follow you around. It's going to be cool. And it just never worked out because the timing wasn't right. You know, we, we couldn't figure out a way to launch our video at a time when the show would air. And then people just, it was just, a, there was a disconnect between that and, 
And uh, there was only one time where we went into a pitch meeting or series of pitch meetings with a concept that was unfortunately very flawed, where it was more like a competition judging kind of show where we were, uh, my business partner and I, we were kind of these judges uh, judging people making viral videos. But even that, it was just, how do you guarantee something is viral? You know, it just, it just doesn't work that way. So, so um but I want to get into long-form um, development and production for um, uh, unscripted, hidden camera kind of prank content for digital and TV. That's one of the ventures that I'm uh, that I'm uh, going into now. Something I've been already actually preparing for the last year with a production partner based in LA. Uh, and then I do want to, and uh, actually, and to uh, to your surprise, maybe David, I want to keep doing pranks. I want to keep doing those things, even though there is a fatigue that uh, maybe you are seeing, but. I still see a huge impact. I still see a huge stickiness of these things. They need to be, you know, re, um, renewed. There needs to be a freshness added. Um, and maybe the format has to be reworked. But if you go with bigger, bolder, crazier ideas, you can do it. I, I believe that. As we've sort of talked about here, um, I think Moto's videos were so distinctive. They really had a signature to the point where you could watch it and say, like, oh, that's a Think Moto video. Um, do you think that that, for fans, do you think that you that, think that spirit that. will live on in what you do or or your partner does? Or do you think you're going to create something completely different that will have its own signature? Uh, both. I think both. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly, you know, I, I want to, you know, uh, capitalize on that that legacy that we have created. And, and a lot of uh, the success is a credit to, to uh, James. He's been absolutely an amazing, there's not a bad thing I can say about this guy. He, um... He came up with the name ThinkMoto. He he designed the logo for ThinkMoto. A lot of people don't know this. I mean, he was really involved and, and contributed a lot to the success of the company. And we learned a lot from each other. I mean, he was, for example, one of his strengths was he was the more diplomatic one. You know, I was that rogue kid and would draft F-bombs. And there were certain calls and meetings I shouldn't even be on. You know, and I would always kind of wheel him out. It's like, James, you got this. You just, you know, <laughs> just make the sound. You know. and, um, and then he gave me a signal whenever it was my turn to speak about whether it was creative or seating or technical or, you know, tags or SEO or whatever. That, that was kind of my thing. And um, and um, I, I really enjoyed the directing. I directed most of the stuff we've done. I edited every single video we have done. That was kind of my background. So I always enjoyed those kind of, uh, that, that part that, that, you know, sitting down and, having a couple of weeks to go through hours and hours of footage of multi-camera shoots. And there was just something that I, that, that was something that I fully enjoyed. I soaked it in and, and I worked directly with the client, you know, sending back and forth different edits and, and then finally agreeing on a version that, that went live, you know? Um, so that's something I want to keep doing. I, I'm really good at it. I understand that, that format and I, I really understand, um, that Facebook, um, also that platform, you know, why it works, what's the engagement, what do people want? I can, I'm studying what people are writing, you know, where it gets reposted and what they comment on, you know, you got to pay attention. What, 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 what is it that you liked here or what didn't work? That's even better. It's like, you should watch it. Okay. Let's not do that again. You know? So it's important to pay attention how it gets picked up and not just news headlines, but really the people who watch it and share it. What are the, what, what's their message? What's their tagline? Um, so, yeah. But I, as a kind of a closing question, because this is something that I'm sure agencies still deal with and people at brands still deal with uh, in the, on the marketing side is when a client, when your boss says, we need to go viral, we need something viral. You know, this has been a a headache for marketers for a decade, but it's one where you've always embraced it. You know, so we are a a, a you know a viral video service. Uh, what would you you know what would you advise to people when when a client or when someone says we need to go viral? What should they do? I mean, other than hiring you and whatever it is you're going to be doing next. <laughs> but no, uh, that's what, what advice would you give folks? 
A great question. I'm, I'm going to first preface it with something else that when uh, when we were approached uh, over the last, I want to say, three or four years, after, you know, like the second half of our existence, uh, and we would be sent over RFPs, uh, you know, uh, for, for, for gigs, um, then the, what we really enjoyed, you know, as a company, James and I and Sam, which is also somebody who I have to mention, he's been an absolute one. He was the, really the only employee of ThinkMoto, um, Sam Pazulo. So he was very involved and he was the kind of, he was the guy who kept us sane because James and I, we had different approaches to our work. We had different dynamics. We have different ways of dealing with things. And he was the kind of, the, he was the referee, you know, between us. And he just kind of, he added a lot to it. But when he um, set up a call, we're talking to the, um, uh, the client or potential client, let's call it that way, and we're together looking at the RFP, all the videos that they referenced were our videos. It's like, hey, we want to do something like this, and we want to do, and we just put the phone on mute, and we just kind of started laughing, you know, and kind of enjoyed that moment, and then we came back on, it was like, we're the guys who made it. You're like, like ah. totally guys. We, 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 you know, <laughs> well, I've got like good We news. made that thing. So that, that was so cool. That, that was kind of, again, a little cocky, but it was just so cool. Like, they didn't realize that we did all that stuff that they wanted to do. And now, what I would advise is that, and I know this is difficult because that's, you know, this is, it depends on what your position is. What is your title in that, in that company, in that agency, or in that brand? Maybe they want to do it, not go through a different agency, but they want to sometimes produce the, uh, things themselves. Is that distance yourself from the marketing mindset that never, ever worked for us. It was always about the idea. What is the idea? And is it organically connected to what we're trying to promote? That's also very important. That we don't just do a funny prank and then, hey, go see this movie. Like it just makes sense. There has to be an organic, organic connection. connection. So we do a girl with telekinetic powers, powers and yeah. it will organically bridge it to Carrie. We do a devil baby, yeah, then we organically bridge it to that movie that's you know, a lady pregnant with the devil. So there, it was very important that, that you reward the viewer first, do something really fun that's worth two minutes of their time and then, then connect it to what you're promoting and then becomes a very clever ad because in general, people don't like to share ads. It's just... You know, you have a also you have a filter on when you watch these things. You know, oh shit, this thing opened with a GoPro logo. Okay, I get it. This is a GoPro branded thing, and now I'm watching it with a filter on because I know somebody's trying to sell me something. But with our videos, you never know what it's for. You first watch it for the entertainment, uh, you know, uh, a reward it's, itself, and then at the end, it's like, oh shit, this is for Oakley, or this is for that, or the branding is even more subtle than that. Um, then you know, that's how you should approach. What's the idea, and also. How do you execute it? You can have the greatest idea in the world, but you can kill it with a really bad execution. A lot of times we see stuff that even other agencies try to copy our style over the years. We've noticed that as well. Um, that this is clearly inspired by one of our videos. We see it, you know, and they overproduce it. You know, they they staged certain things and it was so obvious to us that this was clearly staged. That they, that they, you know, the person was just right in the middle of the frame experiencing this thing. There's no way. You know, if you watch our videos, there are camera bumps. It's out of focus. There's sirens in the background because that was really the real deal. We captured it with bad audio. With, you know, there was a sense of authenticity, of realism that really happened. It was spontaneously captured. Um, and, and they just, it was clearly shot on a 4K, super sharp, everything in focus, everybody just the right hairdo and everything. And, and, uh, um, and then sometimes what they try to do, they, they try to downgrade it in post. They try to add grain or movements, and you could just see that it was sort of digitally altered. So we pride ourselves having that rawness that worked, you know, that it wasn't a fully polished, well-lit ad with perfect audio. Just let it go. Let the imperfections are what makes it work. So those are some of my rambling advices here, that it's about the idea. Don't don't think polished. Just just think about the idea and capture it in a way that feels real. You know that doesn't feel stage produced and and you know uh, that that's my that's my uh, feedback here. 
Well, Michael, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Michael Krivko is co-founder of ThinkMoto. Where can people find you now? Uh, go to whoistheboldguy.com. That's been my alias for many, many years, and now I made it my next company's business. So I'll be doing very similar stuff and also some other very cool stuff. Announcements coming soon. I can't, unfortunately, drop anything yet, but once it's public, I'll, I'll post things there. So, yeah. Great. Well, and thank you, Steph, for making time for us today. It was a fun, fun chat. It's been a great chat. Michael, thanks for coming. Pleasure meeting you both. All right. We will be back next me. week, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGivney. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Lane. Uh, if uh, you have not already, please leave us a review on uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally and help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek. We'll talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard, a curated content app reaching over 145 million monthly users who are paying attention to great content and innovative brands like yours. Learn more at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.